Today in Business from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy to use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60 day trial at shipstation.com slash tech news. That's shipstation.com slash tech news. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey there, this is the Spoken Edition of Wired. Tech's favorite school faces its biggest test, the real world. By Chris Burdick for The Heckinger Report. On lengths of yarn stretched between chairs, sixth-grade math students were placing small yellow squares of paper, making number lines, including everything from fractions to negative decimals, in a classroom at Walsh Middle School. Working in teams one recent morning, they paper-clipped the squares along the yarn like little pieces of mathematical laundry. Their teacher, Michelle O'Connor, had assigned the number lines in previous years, but this year was different. She personally hadn't spent much time leading students through practice problems or introducing the basic math concepts they would use in the project. That had largely been relegated to online math lessons, part of separate periods of learning time when students were free to work through computer-based lessons in any subject they chose at their own pace. The change at Walsh, located in Framingham, Massachusetts, is part of a nationwide pilot program, one that could indicate just how deeply and how quickly the personalized learning trend will penetrate the average classroom. Indeed, despite the buzz around personalized learning, there's no simple recipe for success, and the common ingredients, such as adaptive learning technology and student control over learning, can backfire if poorly implemented. A looming question is whether personalized learning that works in, say, a tight-knit, mission-driven charter school can be reliably translated into traditional district schools with many more students, less flexible schedules, keener standardized test worries, and cultures steeped in established ways of teaching and learning. Some passionately believe that it can and must while skeptics fear that personalized learning hype has outpaced research into if, and importantly, how it helps students. The pilot Walsh joined could be a big part of the answer. It's led by one of the most celebrated leaders of the blended and personalized learning movement, California-based charter network Summit Public Schools. For the last two years, Summit has set out to replicate its success, not by opening more Summit schools, but by offering other schools free tools, training, and support to transform themselves. 
The centerpiece of Summit's franchising effort is their Personalized Learning Platform, or PLP, a free, open-sourced learning management system that boasts a full curriculum for grades 6 through 12, including projects, online learning resources, and tests. Teachers and administrators from interested schools can apply to join Summit Basecamp, which includes an intensive week-long summer training session on Summit's technology and approach. Basecamp schools then receive mentoring from and troubleshooting by Summit staff, as well as PLP access throughout the academic year. Summit's Basecamp is far from the only personalized learning effort out there, but it's among the most ambitious. Nineteen pilot schools participated in 2015. This year, the number skyrocketed with 119 more joining the base camp ranks. More than two-thirds of them are district-run schools. Bits of student performance data are only just starting to trickle out of the pilot schools, so it's too early to quantitatively assess most of them. Qualitatively, however, some broad themes emerged in visits and conversations with teachers, administrators, students, and parents at several base camp schools. For most schools, the jump into personalized learning was really hard. Tales abound of frustrated teachers, crying students, and flummoxed parents. Still, the base camp participants said they overcame the rocky starts and that any school can follow their lead if its teachers and students are willing to shed old assumptions, comfortable routines, and a few tears along the way. One early November afternoon in Sunnyvale, about an hour's drive south of San Francisco, a class of ninth graders at Summit Denali sat at computers for a 45-minute session of personalized learning time. Some days there are two sessions. Many watched instructional videos or worked with adaptive learning software that adjusted lessons based on each student's proficiency. Other than a few murmured conversations and the clicking of keyboards, the only sound was mellow acoustic guitar music played on their teacher's laptop. Their school director, Kevin Bach, stood by the door. We put the music on because it used to get too quiet in here and it weirded people out, Bach whispered. Among people new to the Summit program, such scenes of silent computer-based work can arouse worries that personalized learning means parking kids in front of screens. So it was with parents at one of the first base camp schools, Marshall Pomeroy Elementary in Milpitas, a small city off the southern tip of San Francisco Bay. Our days aren't as long as Summit's days, and so we have to send some of the personalized learning time home as homework, said Sheila Murphy Brewer, principal of Marshall Pomeroy. As a result, she said, during the school's first base camp year in 2015, many parents were thinking, oh, this is just about kids being on the computer. The school has since done more parent outreach to combat that misperception. Back at Summit Denali, Bach said the goal of personalized learning time is not to replace teacher-student interactions, but to enhance them. By offloading some rote learning to a computer, such as memorizing the steps of cell division or the formulas for sine, cosine, and tangent, we can make the most of the connections between teachers and kids, he said. We want more of those interactions to be about big ideas, deeper learning, and the sort of feedback that you can only get from a real live adult. 
Those connections start with one-on-one mentoring, in which teachers meet with students weekly to discuss short-term goals, such as completing a certain number of units in a history course, and long-term goals that stretch into college and career. Mentor time is also meant to reinforce habits of success, such as time management and persistence. My long-term goal is to go to Stanford and major in aerospace engineering, said Christina Wen, a ninth grader at Summit Denali. Wen was working on quadratic equations with her friend Chloe Starbird, who had recently discussed summer internship options with her mentor in pursuit of a career in medicine or biogenetics. Back at Walsh Middle School in Framingham, O'Connor said Summit's approach opened up a little more room for creativity and higher-level thinking in the number line project. I'm not spoon-feeding them anything, she explained. That's a relief because there's a lot less of me trying to run around and help everybody with little details and more of us having conversations about math. Still, asking preteens to guide their own learning was a huge adjustment for everybody, said O'Connor. At the start of the year, her students were often frustrated, and she had to resist the urge to step in and rescue them. For nearly two months of school, she said, it was tough. There were tears. While her students worked, O'Connor circulated among them, asking questions and steering chatter back to math. Later, she would grade not the number lines themselves, but the explanation students gave for the placement and spacing of each number. The students were typing those explanations into a page on PLP and would later present them to the class. Summit requires base camp schools to follow its practice of basing 30% of grades on mastery of content and 70% on students' use of various cognitive skills, such as making inferences and clearly communicating their ideas. Summit partnered with Stanford's Center for Assessment, Learning, and Equity to develop the rubric for evaluating the cognitive skills in each grade. While Summit's PLP does include tests of content knowledge for each subject, students take them only when they feel ready and, if they fail, can retake them until they pass. Some Walsh parents, such as Paula Swift, whose sixth-grade son Trevor is in the Summit program, are fully supportive of this mastery-based grading. My son comes home so excited when he passes a focus area, Swift wrote in an email. I've never seen him react to school so well. Other parents are puzzled by the approach. I've definitely heard from at least ten parents who are like, I don't know what's going on, O'Connor said. Is this good for my child? Her students seem less ambivalent. You get to take tests over again and you get to see what you've done wrong instead of just getting a bad grade and leaving it like that, said Stephen Boulis. That's something I like about Summit. It's so much better, said Brooke Williams, who sat on the classroom floor with her Chromebook in her lap, adjusting her number line. I used to fail a lot of math tests, but now I love school math because I'm learning better. There's tremendous hype swirling around personalized learning, with money pouring in from foundations and education technology companies eager to capitalize on the trend. Still, there are some stalwart critics, notably Benjamin Riley, who visited many personalized learning classrooms from 2010 to 2014 as the policy and advocacy director for the New Schools Venture Fund. Shortly after leaving that post, Riley planted his skeptic's flag with an oft-cited blog post titled, Don't Personalize Learning. 
Riley, who now leads Deans for Impact, a nonprofit he founded to improve teacher training, argued that putting students in charge of their learning defies research on how we learn best. According to Riley, the personalized learning advocates wrongly assume that all students are able to effectively guide their own learning. Knowledge is cumulative, he wrote, meaning that our ability to learn is changed by what we already know. Teachers guide students through the foundational knowledge they need to think critically about a topic, to structure their inquiries for learning more, and to understand new information when they encounter it. Logically, this concern about the need for guidance heightens with novice learners. The Summit program was designed for high school students and then expanded to middle schools. While some base camp educators think Summit's model could work at every grade, others are more cautious. Pleasant View Elementary in Providence, Rhode Island, for instance, started Summit with 5th graders in 2015 and this year introduced a few aspects of the approach to 4th graders. Pleasant View's principal, Colleen Laughlin, said she has no plans to expand Summit to the whole school. When you have little ones, it's harder to do the full self-directed learning. There needs to be a lot more scaffolding and support, said Laughlin, singling out her school's structured and deliberate literacy instruction. We need to set a strong foundation. We don't want to create gaps in our learning for our little ones. Last year, according to Summit administrators, 74% of Summit students met or exceeded Common Core standards for English language arts on California state tests, compared to 49% of students statewide, and 51% of Summit students met or exceeded the standards for math, compared to 37% statewide. The college acceptance rate for Summit graduates perennially pushes 100%. Nevertheless, in a phone interview, Riley pointed out that there isn't much rigorous research showing what aspects of the model specifically lead to that student success. Is it more about the personalized learning, for instance, or the super-committed and highly skilled teachers? I would be shocked if Summit was not an excellent school because I believe Summit founder and CEO Diane Tavener cares deeply about pedagogy and instruction, Riley said. But that shouldn't necessarily be the model that we're all rushing out to replicate throughout our education system, because I can point to examples that I've seen time and again where personalized learning isn't working. Even some of personalized learning's biggest backers admit that it's easy to get it wrong. Folks like Ben Riley have a valid point, said Beth Rabbit, CEO of The Learning Accelerator, a nonprofit that works to scale up blended and personalized learning. Personalized learning is easy to bastardize. It's easy to do it superficially. Last August, for instance, the Center on Reinventing Public Education published a brief field report from their ongoing study of personalized learning initiatives warning that some schools focus on the iconography of personalized learning, the technology or the project-based learning, but sacrifice rigor. In fact, some experts would argue that if the transition to personalization is easy, then you're probably doing it wrong. When I walk into a classroom and see all the kids on a computer, mostly on the same screen, and the teacher is moving around the room like a test proctor, that is where we've gone way wrong and need to right the ship, said Sean Rubin, chief education officer for the Highlander Institute, a Rhode Island nonprofit that promotes education innovation. 
About 10% of base camp schools are in Rhode Island, a concentration that trails only California, Texas, and Illinois, thanks partly to the efforts of the Highlander Institute, which steers schools interested in personalized learning to one of three technology platforms, PLP by Summit, Cortex by the Brooklyn Lab School, or Buzz by the technology company Agilix. But before Highlander recommends any technology, the nonprofit works extensively with the schools to get them ready. It's a one- to three-year process that includes recruiting principals and teachers to be early adopters for their schools and touring schools that have made the transition to successful personalized learning. Then we do the hard part of embedding coaches in their classrooms, said Rubin, so they can get better at helping students set goals and use blended learning to tailor their instruction and develop meaty projects. According to Lizzie Choi, the chief program officer for Summit who leads Basecamp, that kind of groundwork is helpful but not required. The only prerequisites for would-be Basecamp schools are a commitment to Summit's grading policy, a one-to-one ratio of computers to students, and a team of at least four teachers covering the core academic subjects for about 100 students. Beyond that, Choi said Summit welcomes any school willing to take on the program's rigorous application, which requires vision statements, teacher videos, and strategy papers on everything from parent engagement to mentoring and project-based learning. It takes months to complete and is meant to introduce schools to the rigors of a transition to Summit's model and to weed out those who aren't ready. About half the schools that started Basecamp applications last year didn't finish. We don't want to have to say no to anybody, said Choi. We try to tell people, wherever you are on that continuum, if you're excited and have a vision for where you want your school to be, then we are here to support you. Historically, there are virtually no game-changers in the history of school innovations, said Justin Reich, executive director of MIT's Teaching Systems Lab and the author of Education Week's EdTech Researcher blog. And most innovations don't have a strong track record of transferring from one place to another in their original form. Basecamp is not a school cloning operation. Summit encourages pilot schools to adapt its model to fit local needs. For instance, base camp schools are creative with scheduling, finding myriad ways to fit in personalized learning time, mentoring, and projects, while carving out extra time for teachers to jointly plan lessons and confer about students. Most base camp schools make a lot of changes to the platform's lesson plans, projects, and assessments. For instance, the platform had no fifth-grade curriculum when Pleasant View Elementary became a base camp pilot in 2015, so the teachers spent all summer crafting one. At Marshall Pomeroy, teachers added a bunch of extra supports and scaffolds for students with learning disabilities. The base camp schools in Pasadena, Texas, outside Houston, added materials for Spanish-speaking English language learners as well as a required Texas history course. Eventually, Summit hopes to include these additions as options for every user of PLP. Our vision is an entire community of educators across all contexts who are building on each other's work, said Choi. For now, Choi said her number one goal is to build up the capacity of local areas to develop base camp leaders, so Summit isn't providing all the direct support all the time, she explains.
In Summit's first year of base camp, for instance, mentors from Summit staff made regular visits to every pilot school to help coach teachers and troubleshoot. We realized that we were having so many of the same coaching sessions and conversations over and over, said Choi. So this year, Summit's mentors have been keeping in touch with base camp schools by phone and holding periodic regional meetings for collaborative problem-solving. Choi wouldn't put a target on further expansion. She said that base camp was intentionally designed to start small, noting, for instance, that they train just four or five teachers, one grade, from each school. At the same time, she added, there is some incredible amount of excitement in the country around changing the way we teach and learn, and we want to capitalize on that. We know how education reform is. Every couple of years, something comes and then it goes. So in these next couple of years, we need to get as many communities as possible to rally around this and want to keep it going. This story was produced by The Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Hey, this is Andrew from the Spoken Edition team. I wanted to let you know that we just launched a new website at SpokenEdition.com. This new site has over 40 different shows from top publications around the web, all for free. So visit SpokenEdition.com, subscribe to a few new shows, and keep listening. Thanks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.